We are a few weeks into Genesis now at this point and um, making our way through the book of Genesis. One of the things that we hope you see uh, about uh, our church is we love to preach the Word of God. And uh, most of the time you'll come in and you'll find us moving through books of the Bible. And, uh, and that includes Genesis. And so sometimes we, uh, we mistake uh, the Old Testament as books of the Bible where we see God's anger towards sin. And that's certainly there, uh, but we also see it in the New Testament at the cross of Christ. Much throughout Genesis, we see a God of, uh, of, of loving kindness, a God who is incredibly patient with his people. And we see grace on every page uh, of, the, of the Old Testament as we learn about the Lord. And so uh, let's not, you know, sort of dichotomize this as, well, the Old Testament is God's law and wrath, and the New Testament is where we see God's love and mercy, right? So we see different features, of course, but uh, the Old Testament is filled with God's love. So Genesis 2, 18 through 25, if you have a Bible uh, or a Bible app, go ahead and, and flick there, or uh, there, there's a Bible in a seat back in front of you. And uh, we're in Genesis, very beginning of the Bible. Genesis means beginnings, and, um, and uh, at the very beginning, probably pages two, page 2 or 3. I forgot to check this morning how far we've made it. But Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable or a companion uh, fit for or suitable to him. Now, out of the ground... The Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God called to deep, caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed it up with its flesh closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they sh the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and we're not ashamed. Friends, we're going to see this morning that God designed marriage for mutual companionship and to better reflect God's character to the world. In other words, when we're joined together, we better reflect God's character to the world. Let's look first at God's design for mutual companionship. Uh, right at the outset, if you remember from last week, God created Adam and he, and he placed him in the garden, and, he, and he, he gave Adam a command. There are two trees. There are many trees, in fact, but uh, do not eat of this one tree, right? Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So let's remember who's here at this point, walking with God and talking with God, Adam. Adam's just been given a command. Man, it's important for us to see that Adam has just been given a command, Eve likely not there to hear that command. God gave Adam a charge. And now God is seeing that Adam is, it's not good that Adam be alone. He wants to make a, a helper or a helpmeet or a companion that's suitably fitted for 
him, complementary to him. Now, you may remember recently we read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God created man in his own image. Uh, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, uh, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God continues with what we call the creation mandate. What we're reading now about the creation of Adam and Eve is not another creation, but it's a creation account that we read that is embedded within uh, some of the summary creation that we read in Genesis uh, chapter 1. So here, verse 18, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So if you've been paying attention in Genesis, if not, we'll let it slip by. But if you've been paying attention to Genesis, this statement should sort of, you know, it should be a little bit jarring for you because all the way through Genesis, each and every day, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, gets to the end of day, uh, day six, it is very good. And now we read, it's not good. So what's going on here? Did God make a mistake? Well, no, God doesn't make mistakes. God never sins. God always accomplishes everything that he sets out to accomplish. But embedded within this day six creation story is a longer explanation or clarification of how God made Adam and Eve. And in that creation, God says, it's not good that man be alone. But at the end of that day, God says, it's very good. So lots happened within this day. And it's important to remember that what God is revealing to us here is for our good. God is revealing these things, and as we'll see with Adam, God is revealing these things to Moses for, for the people of Israel as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, right? The first five books of the Bible are, are largely for that purpose. And everything that God is telling us here is for our good to understand him. In other words, how long did it take God to accomplish certain things on specific days? Well, we know what was happening within one 24-hour uh, period. We don't know how it unfolded in that day. But God could have said, universe and everything in the universe and the world and Adam and Eve and everything else just be, and it would have been. But what God does is he has created and he is, he is giving us insight into his purposes for creation. Not every detail about creation is, is shown to us, but what God does as he, as he reveals uh, some things about creation for us, and as you'll see in coming weeks and months, as he reveals certain things about certain family lines, lineages, he doesn't touch on every person ever created ever in the Old Testament uh, period, but he reveals what he wants us to know in order to understand him better so that we would stand in awe of him and worship him and ultimately so that we would submit to him and give our lives to him. So this, it is not good, might take you aback and, and, and that would be okay if it did. You'd be like, wait, I thought everything was good. Well, everything is good. But God says, man was never intended to be alone. Adam had perfect fellowship with God in the garden. This isn't a statement that, that God's not enough for Adam. But no matter how mature the man, marriage has a sort of a, a civilizing effect on a man. If he has any wits about him. <laughs> marriage is helpful to men. Marriage is also helpful to ladies. 
No matter how mature he is or no matter how immature he is, marriage ought to be maturing for a man as he grows to love his wife that God created as a suitable companion for him. One fit just right for him. It's not because we're to, we're to marry a, a woman who will take care of us so we can be lazy. It's not because we should marry a woman because she knows the Lord and she knows the Bible and she'll help me stay on the right path. In fact, you remember what I said at the beginning? God gave Adam a command. Men. He gave Adam a command to follow. So he says, I'll make a helper or a companion suitable to him or complementary to him. God's blueprint for this companion for Adam was to make this helper, who we know, of course, as Eve, comparable to him, right? Different uh, translations say this different ways, right? A bit, bit more old-fashioned, the amplified version uses the phrase, a helper meet, one that's suitable, adapted, or completing to him. The KJV says a help meet for him. That's, a, that's kind of a, we don't use that expression anymore. Um, it's sort of an older-fashioned term. Uh, the uh, Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, says a helper correspondent to himself. Now, the Living Bible says a companion, a helper suited to his needs. The ESV, which we just heard, and the CSB say a helper fit for. Very similarly, the NIV and the NASB say a helper suitable for. The New English translation reads a companion for him who corresponds to him. It's helpful to see how different translations have, uh, have interpreted or brought clarity to this word, right? This Hebrew word, it doesn't suggest... Uh, it doesn't suggest a subordinate role in her personhood or in her value or in who sh- how she is esteemed by God or how she is to be esteemed by her husband. It's not subordinate in value, purpose, or image. Remember, God said, let us make man, which is referring to mankind, in our image. Eve is just made in God's image as Adam is made in God's image, right? So the Bible frequently uh, describes a helper, the one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves and the one who meets our needs. It's like uh, saying, I'm going to make an indispensable companion for you, right? So uh, in, in other words, it would carry the idea that what man was lacking by God's design what man was lacking. The woman comes and fills or completes that in their relationship. Right? Now, logically, it follows that then the man would also do that for his wife. There's a, there's a, there's a jigsaw puzzle in God's creation that he is revealing to us here. Right? And so with regard to the marriage relationship, uh, since God created woman to be a perfectly suitable helper to the man... God gave the plan and the agenda, as I've already said, to Adam, and, 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 her and the, uh, he and the woman were to work together to fulfill it. God gives men his purpose, his design for their life. And ladies, you're to come alongside and help him pursue the Lord in that. Now, where do we, where do we see the disconnect? 
Well, let me just be honest. We men don't always do such a great job of that. Sometimes we leave our wives holding the bag. You guys are like, oh, wait, I thought you were preaching my Eve today. Men, it is, it is godly to go wholehearted after the Lord Jesus Christ with your lives. It is manly to sing. It is manly to cry when you think about the depravity that God has saved you from, if he has saved you from it. If he hasn't, you're hearing my words and they're not connecting with you. Well, I thought women were supposed to be the spiritual ones. They kind of help keep us on the right path, keep us from getting into too much trouble, as we say. No. Well, we're to help each other with that. But God gave a command to Adam. And God created Eve to follow him in that, to be the perfect complement in that. God hasn't ordained women to be helpers to men in authority uh, all around in life, but primarily in marriage and in the church, right? Second Timothy or first Timothy two, thir- 12, I'm sorry, first Timothy two, 12 and 13. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet for Adam was born first, then Eve. Notice when Paul is talking to Timothy, he's training up a young pastor he goes all the way back to creation. So sometimes you'll hear arguments about, well, it was just a cultural thing that men led in the early church. It was an auto. There are cultural implications, but it was not a cultural thing. God created men to lead in the church and in the home. Now, I want to clarify. This doesn't mean if you work a job, can you work for a woman? Of course you can. This has nothing to do with who your boss is at work. It has to do with how God created men and women to function in the marriage, which fills itself out in the life of the local church. It doesn't mean that women can't speak in the church. I know it says here they must be silent. That's where we do get into some cultural understandings about how, what Paul was communicating here. But let's not get lost on the distraction. The main point is that within the home and the church, God has called and created men to lead. Men, it means you pick up your Bible and you get in it yourself. If you need your wife to help you with understanding certain things, no problem. We're wired differently. We're gifted differently. But you lead by setting an example. You lead by moving out first in desire. So you open your Bible, you read, and you say, I don't understand what this means. Honey, do you understand this better? She might say, I have no idea. Or she might say, well, I think what he's getting at is this. Brothers, I want to say that's perfectly acceptable. But you want to keep moving forward. You want to keep growing in submission to the Lord as you are growing in and surrendering to Christ. So the idea of this being a helpmeet or a, a companion fit for one who's called along to, uh, to, uh, to be a helper is really an incredibly God-glorifying picture. We just think through it in a convoluted way because we we think like the world with it. Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus called to the sons of Zebedee and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, talking about authority, power, and position. 
and, and, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus said, it should not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, we're called to lovingly serve our wives and we lead through servant leadership. When we speak about our, our deacons and our, and our elders here at the church, we kind of use the expression that, that our elders are servant leaders and our deacons are lead servants, right? These are men who, 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 who honestly, most of the time they're behind the scenes. Uh, they don't want to make a name for themselves. They just are serving and they're building unity in the church. And, and we say, yeah, you're a, you're a lead servant. Your life gives testimony that you're leading in the home, however imperfectly, of course, but, and, and they serve the church family in wonderful ways. God has called elders, pastors, elders to be servant leaders, right? We don't lead and say, I'm an elder, I'm a pastor, you need to do what I say. We hope to lead in a way that's loving, in a way that leads by the word of God, holding it out for one another as we as we lead together. But being a helper is a wonderful thing. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called our helper. If God can call the Holy Spirit a helper and it'd be okay, God ought to be able to call women a helper and it'd be just fine. You see what's happening here? God created you to fill a void in our lives, in our character, in our gifting, in our personalities. This is a wonderful thing. You are a gift to us. We just sometimes make the mistake of not I'm not treating you like that. That's on us. Man, that's on you. If that's you. God gave us a command and he gave us wives to help us fulfill the vision that God has called us to walk according to. They're comparable to us. They ought to be honored in such a way as they are comparable to us. And I will say, not, not because society is currently recognizing some faulty male leadership. This has nothing to do with society. In fact, it ought to be exemplary for society. The way we follow the Lord with all our heart and the way we love and honor and respect and treat our wives. 1 Peter 3.7 says it this way, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Did you catch that? You don't honor your wife, your prayers hit the ceiling. Second point is no complimentary or companion or helper was found for Adam. Right? And I'm going to move through this point uh, pretty quickly here, the next couple points. But remember, everything that God is doing in creation, everything God is doing, the, the, the beasts of the field that he's forming, the birds of the heavens, uh, all of these are created as part of God's good and beautiful and glorious design. He brings them all before Adam, and Adam names them all. And whatever Adam named them, that's what they were called. Right? Remember, God, God is doing all of this to teach us as we read his word. And brothers and sisters, he's doing all of this for Adam to teach Adam. This wasn't about as much as naming all of the animals. 
God had said to have dominion over the, over the earth and, and to say it shortly, over every living thing, over all the animals. Take care of the world that I've put you in. Don't worship it, but take care of it. And so God is bringing these animals before Adam and he's naming them. And he begins to notice, hmm, not one of these is complimentary for me. Maybe they came before him in pairs and he realized, I don't have a pair. But he knew something was different. There was no complimentary companion found uh, for Adam. Number three, in keeping with God's word, and that's important, God said, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. And God was not living. I say these things because we sometimes live like this, you know? Uh, there was, it's not good for man to be alone. Oh no, God made a mistake in creation. No, never. God had a plan from before the foundation of the world and he's working it out. And part of that working it out is bringing all the animals and bringing them, bringing them before Adam. So in keeping with his word, because that's where we started in verse 18, I will make a helper fit for him. God created woman from and for Adam. Verse 21 through 23, God caused a deep sleep, the best anesthetic, to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God fashioned a woman from his rib. He used his own body to create Eve and, and really to forever remind them of their, of their essential oneness. Eve was taken from Adam. And they will see in a lot of ways that they're very different, but they will also see how they are very uniquely woven together. There are many likenesses between the two of them. And we see also, as we look into the New Testament, right, the body of Christ comes, if you will, from a wound that was made in Jesus' side, as we think a lot now about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Number four, God designed marriage as an illustration of our relationship with him. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. God created marriage for a purpose that's bigger than itself. This is not just about marriage. This is not just about finding happiness or, or companionship or a friend to do life with. From the very beginning, it was intended that marriage is a picture of a believer's relationship with God. And as husband and wife, a picture of Christ's relationship to the church and the church's relationship to the Christ to Christ. Paul says this, again, going all the way back to creation, he says, by the way, let me just say this, we think about uh, the book of Ephesians, we often go to the book of Ephesians when uh, people begin talking about struggles in their marriage, right? Sometimes we get to chapter 5 too quickly, you know? Well, we're struggling and we're fighting and this is what's going on, da, da, da. We want to we get the husband to, 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 to act first in obeying the Lord and loving his wife and things like that. So we go right to chapter 5. You know what else happens? In the rest of Ephesians, 
the Lord draws out the reality that we are one in Christ. And so if we have two believers sitting in front of us, there's a lot that happens in growing in Christ before we get to Ephesians chapter 5 in the middle of the 20s or 30s. There's a lot that happens prior to that. So without just rushing there, we look at the whole book of Ephesians and we say, what is God doing in us? How does God intend that we live first and foremost as Christians? Christian men, your Christian wife is your sister in Christ before she's your wife. Marriage is for our time here on earth. When we're in glory, those marriage relationships are not the priority. I mean, I don't think we're going to forget our spouse. Who was it again? Where is she? My theological reasoning for that comes from my college pastor. I just don't think we're going to be dumber when we're in heaven. It'll hit you in a minute. Or it's just a bad joke. I'll blame it on my college pastor. This applies to the whole family. Moms and dads, if you're a Christian, you think about your children and raising them, our goal, not just to make good, productive boys and girls for society. It's to evangelize them with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that every day shows they need. It's to help you realize how much you need to depend on the Holy Spirit in your parenting, which you need. And it's to train them up for the cause of Jesus Christ in this community and around the world. You are training up, if they're believers, you are training up your brother or sister in Christ that happens to be 20 or 30 years younger than you. We must always prioritize our relationship to God and our role uh, in relation to the Lord above our familial relationships. And husbands, wives, that's true of you in your marriage. You're married to your brother or sister in Christ. I know all the kids are like, ew. And that's, that's good. Say ew to that. Or to the, you're married to your brother or sister. Yeah, we've got to say ew to that. But you think about the grand design that God has in weaving this all together. Marriage is an earthly picture of the relationship that exists between Christ, the bridegroom, the church, and his bride. Ephesians 5.32 says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ and the church. 1 Corinthians 6 says, a husband and wife, there are one flesh with one spirit in the Lord. The verse actually says, I was just paraphrasing here, but he who joins, uh, is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So as we are joined to the Lord, similarly and yet with distinction, the Lord joins us to one another. Someone described marriage as God's doing with one man and one woman, that which he is always trying to do within the world as a whole. To unite everything, to join everything together in him. And that, in fact, is the message of Ephesians, as we learned last year. So if you're struggling in your marriage, 
And if you're human, you're struggling in your marriage. Don't just go to Ephesians 5.32. Go to Ephesians 1 and see what God's purpose in the world is. Go to Ephesians 2. Begin to pray the prayers of Ephesians for one another, with one another. Put off the old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and, and put on the new self. This is all before you get to Ephesians 5 and start talking about marriage. Get right with the Lord as a believer first. Follow him with your whole heart and love and honor your spouse. I think it's also important to remember that your, your Christian relationship does not have to be separate and, and exclusive. It doesn't mean you have to, you have to have a I'm going to tell you something really silly about me. Just one for today. I was so excited to get married and, well, to Cheryl and not just in general. Like, I can't wait to get married. Just bring whoever along. <laughs> we fell in love quickly. And I had to get her from Canada to here. What the Lord did. But that's another story. But it's true. And... Um, and we, so we had a lot of long distance time in our, in our dating relationship. And I remember one time being so excited to have quiet times with my wife, you know, this is how guys are sometimes. They just don't think through what they say. But uh, I was just so excited about it, you know, and I was like, we're, I think we're going to, we're going to buy, we're going to get two desks and we're going to put them together. So like I can have my Bible out open on the desk and you can have your Bible out open on the desk and we're going to reach across the table and we're going to hold hands and we're going to pray and we're going to read the Bible together and we're going to do all. Do you know how many times, first of all, that we bought two desks, put them in the same room, held hands across the desks and read and prayed the word with each other? Guess I was aiming for a house where you could put two desks in the same room. I have my time with the Lord. Sherilyn has her time with the Lord. We pray together. We encourage each other. We challenge each other. We're going after Jesus all by God's grace. And we're striving to help one another along the way. We want to help fulfill the great commandment, the great commission by training up two boys who will love Jesus with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength. And grow up to love the Lord, love his word, and love people as a result of that. We can't change their hearts, so we're dependent on the Spirit for it all. And that's the same about for your spouse. You're dependent on, on the Lord to change your spouse's heart. What, what we need to do as individuals is go hard after the Lord, looking into our own soul, asking the Lord to make us mature in him. You don't desire Christ like you need to, ask him to give it to you. The Father is the giver of every good and, good and perfect gift. So Adam looks up and he says, whoa! She's a knockout. She's made for me. She's like me, but different. And for this reason, verse 24 says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. 
we're wired differently, men and women. Right? Typically, women are... Well, they're wired differently for... I'm not finished. (laughs) That was the laugh of like, oh no, he's stuck in a hole and he can't get out of it. (laughs) They're wired for intimacy differently. They're wired for friendship differently. They're wired differently with how many words they have per day. You're like, preach. And men, you're wired differently. But here's what's interesting about that. As we heard about how the men are wired differently and how the women are wired differently, the men, you know, are going like, they're either going, hey, tell me about it. I need help figuring this out. Or, or, or ladies, when you hear me say that you're wired differently, you're saying, yes, yes, I wish he would get that. And men, you're thinking something similar. Yep. Men, we should never try to make our wives be us. We should never try to make our wives have our same personality. We should never expect our wives to have the same perspective. We should never expect our wives to be yes women who just tell us everything that we do is wonderful and we're so handsome and we're so smart and all of our perspectives are right and just swoon every time we walk by because we're so wonderful. That's a very self-centered, selfish perspective. We follow the Lord. We become more and more accustomed to the character of God and we look to serve her to love her, to listen to her. Well, when's she going to get to the point? It doesn't actually matter. Wives, he may get to the point before you're even ready for the conversation. We're different. And yet we're created in God's image and God has woven us together. This is what we see in the marriage picture. Man leaves his father and mother and he holds fast. He clings to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's the consummation of the marriage relationship. And now look at this beautiful picture in an untarnished garden. And the man and the woman, the man and his wife, were both naked and they were not ashamed. Parents, don't don't cover your children's ears when it comes to God's description of of intimacy in the Bible. Help them see that it's not bad, it's it's good, it's God's glorious design. Here they're 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 unclothed, they're they're naked, and they're not thinking, how do I look? They're fellowshipping with God in the garden. They're one in their union. God designed marriage for mutual companionship and to better reflect his character to the world through believing husbands 
and believing wives. I want to talk to singles for a minute. If you're in high school or college and, or you're beyond that age and, and you're single for any number of reasons, we can't get into the weeds on it today, but when we say that, that men and women, husbands and wives, complement one another, this does not mean that you have to get married to be purpose-filled for building God's kingdom. In fact, the Apostle Paul says quite the opposite. Right? He says, if you can, be free from it like me, so I can just be totally focused on the kingdom of God, and I don't have to worry about it. And that's not, a, that's not a negative way to say that. I'm not distracted by the things of earth or tending to my wife's needs. I just go after the Lord and fulfilling his call in my life. So you don't have to be married to be fulfilled in your purpose on this earth. But let me ask this. If you're married, God's word to you is, are you growing in deeper companionship with the Lord? So that you can grow in deeper companionship with your wife or with your husband. Is your marriage growing in the way that it, that it reflects Christ's sacrificial love to the church and to the world? Or are you vying for pole position in your relationship? You're vying for authority. You're vying for who's going to make this decision or who's going to serve each other the most. This is where it's good not just to look for marriage verses in the Bible, but as Paul tells believers, outdo one another. You want a competition? That's the competition. Outdo one another in showing honor. Compete for that who can serve the best, who can love the most furiously, fiercely, not furiously, fiercely in a godly way. Marriage, there's no autopilot in marriage. Marriage requires commitment. It requires attention to detail. And it says it requires work. Now, a word to the men for a moment. Man, we love our sports. We love our hobbies. If you read a, an instruction manual for anything, or if you're getting to know guns, or you're getting to know hunting or the laws, you'll find the material, you'll read it, you'll learn it, you'll commit to it. Don't say, well, I don't read. I can't learn how to love my wife in the right way. I don't know where to find the information. See, if it's something that you want, you'll find it. And that's seen in many areas in our lives. So I want to encourage you. Get in the word. Love the Lord Jesus with all your heart. Trust his grace to grow you a little at a time. And he will. Because he's promised and he's faithful. Ladies, it is not your call. It is not your responsibility to make him love the Lord. Because I will tell you this, as the Lord begins to get a hold of his heart, you may find that he leads you in ways that are different than what you want. But the very desire that you wanted for him to love Jesus 
and get engaged in your relationship, get engaged in leading your family, get engaged in following the Lord may require him to lead in a way that catches you off guard. But it's the same God who calls him to lead, the same one who calls you to honor him, to willfully submit to him, to, to render yourself to him as he leads. And really, at the end of the day, the beautiful picture is we want to help one another do it together. Christ is one with the Father. He's one with the Spirit. We're to be one with one another and one in the Lord. As we get ready to take communion, I want to invite you to, we usually say like, come on up whenever you want. Today I'm going to do something a little different. I just want to invite you to just remain in your seats. You can decide how long is, and don't be afraid to be the first one to stand up. Consider your marriage. Consider your relationship with the Lord. Think more about yourself than your spouse, unless you're contemplating how you can serve them, love them. Take some time to pray. We have two communion stations up front. We have gluten-free communion over here. We have two stations in the back. And if you would like to remain in your seat for any reason, just lift your hand up and someone will come serve you. They'd be glad to do so. We'll sing our closing worship song together as we take communion. Again, pray as long as you'd like to, as long as you need to, and then feel free to go to any, any station to be served communion. I do want to say this. Communion is a, is a gift that God gave believers to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us at Calvary so that we could be saved. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. And if you know this and you know that you've surrendered your heart to the Lord, you've turned from yourself in repentance and in faith you believe that it's Jesus plus nothing, and every good work that follows is what flows from faith, we invite you to come and, and, and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us as a worshipful time, as a worshipful experience. If you're not sure about your relationship with the Lord, that's nothing to be ashamed of. We just want to invite you to abstain from taking communion because it's for Christians. But use this time to allow the Lord to help you understand your relationship with him, pray, grab someone near you and ask them about what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. We have no desire to twist anybody's arm for anything. We just love to talk with people. We just love to share about the difference Jesus has made in our lives. Okay, let's commune together. Father, we thank you for your wisdom in creating husband and wife. We thank you for the love that you have shown us and we thank you that you are so merciful and gracious with us that, that you might use us fallen creatures to, de to declare your love to a watching world. And we know that anything good that happens is only by your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.